Well, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Uh, Grab your Bibles, if you would. Uh, Open them up. Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16 is where we are today. We're going to be looking at another episode in the life of uh, Samson. And today, mighty, strong Samson. He's going to get brought down by even mightier Delilah. So if you would, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver, So Delilah said to Samson, Please, tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come, up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. 
She made him sleep on her knees, and she called him man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray, family. Oh, King Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being our Lord and our King. We pray that you would rule over us uh, today, um, even now, through your word. Have your way today. Lord, you love us. Would you please show us the thing that is killing us today, and would you please show us Jesus in this passage and the good news that is ours. Help us trust you. Help us believe in you. Help us hear you. In Christ's name and by his power we pray. Amen. Amen. Regardless of its appearance, sin is not safe. Now let me ask some questions, guys. Uh, how, many, how many of you like to eat chocolate? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Quite a good, good chunk of us, majority of us like to eat chocolate. How many of you actually right now have some chocolate in your pantry or in a secret drawer? Yeah, I'm looking at you. You have some right now. Okay. Uh, how many of you guys know that uh, chocolate's poisonous to dogs? Wow, more than I thought. That's pretty good. Okay, for those of you, this is going to be bonus points. Uh, raise your hand. How many of you actually know why chocolate is poisonous to dogs? Okay, a few, few of you, less. For those of you that don't know, uh, and I, I didn't know either, by the way, so don't feel bad when the research is. <laughs> the toxic component of chocolate is theobromine. Uh, humans can easily metabolize theobromine, but dogs process it much, slow, much more slowly, and it allows that to build up to toxic levels in their system. Theobromine can produce muscle tremors, full-body seizures, an irregular heartbeat, and heart attacks in dogs because they can't metabolize it. While there's different levels of toxicity and pain that dogs, uh, for dogs that eat chocolate, there is no such thing as a safe amount of chocolate. There are only increasingly destructive levels of toxicity for dogs. In much the same way, there is no such thing as a safe amount of sin for humans. It is poison to our soul. You know why? Because our soul cannot metabolize sin. We often think of sin as, as uh, doing something bad, right? Or it's doing something immoral, that's sin. And that's a good definition. It's a, it's a little simplistic, but it's a good definition. Uh, I want to give a, a little better definition of what sin is. It comes from the New City Catechism. It says, question, what is sin? Answer, Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he created. It's not being or doing 
what he commands. If God tells you to not cut your hair and you ignore or reject his command, it's sin. Regardless of how harmless or even respectable it might look, sin is not safe no matter the appearance. There is no harmless amount that we can take in and that we can imbibe. There's no harmless amount of like, exposure time to it. There's only increasingly destructive levels of harm and havoc that it wrecks in us and the lives around us. Are you guys tracking with me? But see, here's the deal. Someone has to tell you that. Someone has to tell you that. Just like you and I would not naturally on our own look at the chocolate bar in our pantry and go, oh, obviously, that is lethal to a dog. In the same way, we don't naturally see ignoring God as lethal to us. Someone needs to point that out. Someone has to tell us that. And that's exactly what God is doing for us today. In the life of Samson, God is pointing out the fact that sin intends to destroy us by blinding us and binding us. Sin intends to destroy our life by blinding us and binding us. And today I want to talk about two ways that sin blinds us, and then I want to talk about how it binds us. First of all, sin blinds us to our human frailty. It, it literally binds us to our human frailty. We're going to see this in verse 6 and 7. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound so that one could subdue you. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So there's this phrase that's repeated four times by Samson in this little game that he's uh, playing with Delilah. The phrase is, I shall become weak and be like any other man. Over and over he says this. Delilah wants to know, what's the secret to his super strength so she can bind him and get paid? Because she's got a job she's doing. Samson teases Delilah by telling her to do these things that like they don't threaten his strength even in the slightest. He thinks it's fun. He thinks it's funny. And then he like mocks her when it doesn't work. Each time he gives her this fake secret, though, he ends with this little phrase. And I shall become weak like any other man. And that's really, really telling in regards to how he sees himself. Samson views himself as invincible to any harm that Delilah could do to him. And why? Because Samson deeply believes he's not like any other man. He's a special case. The rules that apply to all other humans, that doesn't apply to him in his mind. He deeply believes this. And in one sense, you've got to hand it to him. He's actually right in one sense. Samson's not like any other man. Remember, God's put a special call in his life to be holy, which means to tell the truth about God with your life. God's called him to be a deliverer of Israel and tied to this Nazarite calling was this wonderful gift from God of superhuman, supernatural physical strength so that no one could keep him from, from accomplishing his calling. 
So and also, Samson had these seven lock, long locks of hair that everybody could see before they ever spoke to him. They see these big seven long locks of hair. I kind of imagine them as seven like big thick dreadlocks that he just bundle up behind his head and they go down his back. And these dreadlocks were like an external visible sign that said to everyone who met, he met and even people that just passed him by, look, I'm a Nazarite. I'm not like other men. I'm not like other people you can see. But even though he's not like any other man in regard to great physical strength, it turns out that Samson is just like every man in regard to spiritual weakness. You guys see this? If you were here last week, you remember, remember when Samson made that riddle about the lion and the honey? Remember that? And then the Philistines, they, they answered his riddle with two questions of their own. Remember the questions? What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Remember that? Well, in a twist of irony, we get the answer to both those questions right here in the story. What is stronger than a lion and what is sweeter than honey? The temptation to sin. The temptation to sin. No man, no woman can resist the powerful temptation to ignore God, regardless of how physically strong they are or how well endowed they are. No one can resist that. Samson believed that if he can tear a lion to pieces with his own hands, how could an immoral relationship with the prostitute be dangerous to him at all? That's child's play in his mind, right? I mean, if he can uproot an entire city gate of his enemies, including the post and the bars of the locks and everything, throw it on his shoulder and hike 40 miles uphill, mind you, then how could rejecting God's people to go live with God's enemy harm him? How is that even possible? It's not possible in his way of reckoning. Arrogance has blinded Samson to the fact that though he's strong physically, he is still human. And that means he's spiritually frail. He's frail in regard to the power of sin. He's just like any other man where it matters the most. But guess what? He can't even see that. He can't see that. Brothers and sisters, you know that sin has blinded you. Here's how you know. When you believe you're not like other people. Hey, other people get addicted to drugs and get drunk, but not me. I'm not like those people. You see, I can quit anytime I want. I'm not like other people. That's those, those people. Other people get obsessive about their body image, but not me. Other people get fanatical about their career, but not me. That won't happen to me. I'm not like that. Other people get sucked into illicit relationships, but not me. Other people can't control their anger and their rage, but not me. Other people take things that don't belong to them, but not me. I'm not that kind of person. Those things only happen to weak people. Those things happen to uninformed people, uneducated people. That's, that only happens to like a really kind of a perverse kind of person. And that's not me. So it can't happen to me. I, I'm stronger than them. I'm smarter than them. I, see, I'm not like other people. 
That's how you know you're beginning to be been blinded by sin when you start think, thinking that way, maybe even talking that way. When we begin to believe that our emotional strength, our physical strength, our people skills, our knowledge about something, our SAT scores, our good upbringing, our years of experience makes us somehow invincible to the temptation of sin. We've become blind fools. See, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13. Now, these things happened to them, the Israelites, as an example these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. There is instruction for us here in Judges. On whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you. That means seized you, grabbed you, arrested you. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And the word there is humanity. There's no temptation that's just not common to the fact that you're human. Paul is warning us, much like the writer of Judges is warning us, that there is not a single sin in the world that you and I are not susceptible to. Don't say, I could never kill someone. Don't say that, because that's someone else who does that. Don't fool yourselves, brothers and sisters. You just haven't found the trigger yet. That's what Paul's saying. You just haven't been plopped into that particular scenario where that weakness comes up. Christian, you and I are not strong enough in our own power to withstand sin. Any, any sin. Now that's a really humbling word for us, isn't it? Especially for those of us who have gone to church 20 years. But it's an important word. Sin is not safe as long as you are human. Remember your frailty and live. That is wisdom. Secondly, sin blinds us to its seriousness. Sin also blinds us to its seriousness. Let's look at the text, verse 15. It says, And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. You have not told me where your great strength lies. And, then, and, and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day, and she urged him, his soul was vexed to death. He has no idea how vexed to death he's about to be, <laughs> right? And he told her all his, what? Heart. He said to her, Erasers never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become, there it is, weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her the money in their hands. Samson's been playing this game with Delilah, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He gives her these ridiculous fake secrets on how to bind him, and then he just shows off how strong he really is, how that didn't work, look how strong I am, look how foolish you are. And he's toying with her. He thinks he's playing a game. 
And he's toying with her in part because he views himself as invincibly strong, but he also is toying with her because he views her as weak. He views her as non-threatening to him. She's just a woman. And she's just one woman. And she's not just one woman all alone. She's a woman with a bad reputation. Like, who would ever believe anything she ever said? Like, he, how could she ever be his undoing? Oh, this is so relevant for us today, right? Samson is playing a game with Delilah. But hey, Delilah's not playing games with Samson at all, is she? She's serious. She's actually said what she wants to do, right? She's been paid for a purpose. She's on a job, and she's going to relentlessly pursue him until she brings him down. She's not playing a game. So she prolongs the relationship to try to draw him into deeper personal investment and emotional investment. She changes tactics on him to constantly nagging him and then questioning his love for her. Every time Samson rebuffs her efforts, she just comes back again and again and again. Delilah is serious about binding him and she will not stop till she finds his weak spot. Where's that trigger? Where's that scenario? Samson, he's playing a game. Samson's playing checkers and Delilah's playing chess. You understand what I'm saying? That's what's happening. Brothers and sisters, sin is serious about destroying your life. And someone needs to tell you that. You guys remember the movie The Fugitive? Right? Harrison Ford, he plays Dr. Richard Kimball. He's a man who's been wrongly uh, convicted of murdering his wife, right? Then you have uh, Tommy Lee Jones, and he plays Samuel Gerard, the, the U.S. Marshal. He's through the whole movie, right? He's pursuing Kimball, right? He's chasing him through the, that's the whole movie, practically. Gerard will stop at nothing to capture and bind and shackle Dr. Kimball. He travels miles and miles and miles. He crisscrosses the country to track him down. He invades every area of his life to try to find clues onto his whereabouts. Kimball manages to evade Gerard time and again, but each time he slips by, each time he evades Gerard, Gerard only becomes more resolved in capturing him, right? And you guys remember, there's this scene. There's that scene where uh, Agent Gerard finally corners Dr. Kimball at the top of the dam. Remember that? And there's like no, he's got him. There's nowhere he can go, Right? And he starts walking to him, but he slips down that water shaft, and he drops his pistol in the water, and Kimball picks up the gun, and he points it at Gerard. Remember that? And he's, he says that line, I didn't kill my wife. Remember that? In essence, he's saying, stop pursuing me. S- leave me alone. Stop hunting me down, because I don't deserve this. In essence, that's what he's saying. Remember that? And remember what Gerard says in reply? I don't care. I don't care. In essence, he's saying, look, you can't reason with me to get me to quit, to get me to stop. Because I've got a job to do. I will not quit till I see you in shackles. I will not stop until I have you. I don't care what you deserve. Sin does not care about you. Sin 
does not care about you. It does not care about your happiness. It does not care about your joy. It is not a friend that you can reason with when it stops becoming fun and games. It is not your ally that you can trust to go to bat for you that's on your side. It is an enemy that relentlessly, ruthlessly, doggedly pursues you and I mile after mile until it has your heart. All your heart. I mean, isn't that what causes Delilah to finally stop pursuing Samson, right? When he told her all his heart, right? He gave the Delilah what belonged to God alone. All his heart, all his soul, all his strength, all his mind, right? And it was checkmate when that happened. Brothers and sisters, sin will keep coming and coming and coming until it captures your heart. You need to hear that. You need to know that. Let me ask you this question. How serious do you take the sins in your life? Right now. How serious do you take the sins in your life? I mean, like, how serious are you about your pride? Or maybe your cynical attitude towards people in life? Like, how serious do you take your greediness? How serious do you take your rage, lust, self-centeredness. I mean, do you consider them just small things that are harmless to you? Is that how you view them? Like, is there a place in your life right now, if you look at your life, is there a place right now where you are ignoring God or you're rejecting God because you believe this is just a little thing and you're just going to grow out of it one day? You'll just grow out of it one day. It'll be okay. Or maybe you believe that you can manage it You can keep it contained in this part of your life. So what's in the harm in just kind of dabbling in that every once in a while? Like everything in moderation, right? Except sin, which your soul can't metabolize. When we are blinded to the seriousness of sin, we can tell because we're always minimizing the threat. That's how you can tell when you're blind to sin. You're minimizing the seriousness of it. You're minimizing the threat that it does to you and your children, your family, your spouse, your wife, and your relationship with God. You're minimizing it. means you're blind to the seriousness, how serious it is to want to have you. Here's what God says to Cain when he becomes angry at his brother, angry enough to kill him. What's God say? Genesis 4, 6, and 7, or just 7. It says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted, Cain? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. God says this to us, sin is not a cute little kitty that plays with balls of string and balls of yarn. Sin is a lion crouched at your door ready to eat you alive with a smile on its face. Sin is serious about destroying you. You need to take it serious and live. Thirdly, sin binds us in lifelong slavery. It binds us in lifelong slavery. Look at verse 21 with me. And the Philistines seized him. No temptation has seized you. 
They seized him. They gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. He ground at the mill in the prison. This is the end goal of sins in our life. It blinds us in order to bind us. It desires to make us slaves to its will, to its purposes. Mighty Samson has now been reduced to a blind man in prison who now makes bread to nourish his own enemies for the rest of his days. This is some twisted irony, is it not? And they're making a mockery of him. Guys, don't miss the picture in this short little verse here. Samson is not going to be released on account of good behavior. Like he had, that is not a hope for him. He is not getting out of there. Okay? This is for life. He's not up for parole in 15 years. His imprisonment is for life. His enemies have no intention of ever releasing him. He grinds and grinds till he stops around that mill wheel. They want to slowly grind him into powder, much like Samson is grinding the wheat into powder. This is torturing him because he's seeing what he's about, what he's going to become one day. We need to let this final image sink deeply into our hearts and our minds because it's supposed to make us ask this really important question. If not even mighty Samson had that power to resist sin and fight sin, then what chance do you and I have? The answer is none. That's the answer. Our hope in resisting the power of sin must come from someone other than us. It must come from a hero, and we're not that hero. Look at verse 22 again, and we're going to see just a little hint of what that might be, who that might be, all right? It says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's growing every day. It's getting longer and longer again. Samson's only hope is in God returning to him. His hope's not in him. It's in God And there's good news here for us. Even though Samson has rejected and ignored God, God still keeps his promise to Samson. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, Samson's disobedience crushes him, but it does not crush the faithfulness of God to his people. The Lord will visit strength upon Samson once again so that he can fight his enemies. And this is good news for you and I. God has done the same for us because of Christ, the true and better Samson. God has visited us with his strength. God has visited us with his power that we might do battle with sin. See, unlike Samson, Christ is the only one that can say, I'm not like any other man and not be arrogant about it, right? Yet Christ willingly became like every man, every woman. He willingly became like you and me. And unlike Samson, Christ was not tricked into becoming weak. He wasn't tricked into becoming like you and I. Rather, he gladly, he willingly took on our weakness. He was willing to be, his hands to be bound by the hands of wicked men and women. 
He was willing to do that. He volunteered for that. And why? Why? So that we who are blind, we who are arrogant, we who are bound under the power of sin could share in His great power. The mighty Son of God became weak so that we could be clothed in His might and in His strength in our inner being. By Christ's death, sin's power is broken over your life and my life. By His resurrection, we have new life. By His ascension, His Spirit now fills and empowers those who believe and trust in Him to live life for Him and His glory now. It says in Romans 6, 6 through 8, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Hallelujah. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. What hope do we have in resisting sin? What hope do we have in fighting sin and temptation and living for God? Well, we only have one hope, but it's a sure hope. It's a strong hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He can open our blind eyes. Jesus can set us free from sin's grinding grip in our life. Praise be his name. We can trust in Jesus. Let's give him all of our heart today. Give him all of our heart today. Amen. I love you guys. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. We love you for being our hero. We thank you, Lord, though we get ourselves bound in sin, though we blind ourselves, though we sabotage ourselves by ignoring you, resisting you, that you came and you took on our weakness. You came and put on our shackles. You came and your body was ground. Not at a mill, but at a cross. <laughs> so that we could be free from the power of sin. And we don't have to follow that way. We can be free from that by your power and your strength and the grace, the many graces that you supply. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done, the sacrifice you've made, the love that you've shown us. Oh, Lord, we pray that your word would go deep into us. Transform us, Lord. Change us. We want to be different. Help us take sin serious as sin takes us. Where you see it in our life, we pray you'd mortify it. We pray you would kill it. And help us lean on you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.